This is Guns and Butter. What I think is is of concern to us is that the 9/11 big lie sets the stage for what I describe as the American Inquisition. The nature of an inquisitorial doctrine is very different to actual disinformation. There's a subtle difference because media disinformation is that you hide the facts and you obfuscate certain things and you lie. An inquisitorial doctrine is quite different. You don't necessarily need to lie. You don't obfuscate the torture uh, camps in Guantanamo. In fact, you do exactly the opposite. You make them visible. Uh, why? Because ultimately they are accepted as something which we can do. So torture then is accepted because we need to go after the bad guys. Okay. So that an inquisitorial doctrine is based on essentially on enforcing the lie as the truth. Okay, it's not by obfuscating the truth and, and saying, no, well, this, that, and other. It's actually inverting the truth. It's transforming the lie into the truth. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Michelle Chosarovsky. Today's show, Al-Qaeda and the Global War on Terrorism. Michelle Chosarovsky is a professor of economics and director of the Center for Research on Globalization based in Montreal, Quebec. He is the author of The Globalization of Poverty and the New World Order, War and Globalization, The Truth Behind September 11th, and America's War on Terrorism. He is co-editor and contributor to a new anthology, The Global Economic Crisis, The Great Depression of the 21st Century. Today, Michel Chosarovsky discusses the broad consequences of 9-11 with regard to U.S. military doctrine, and more broadly, the pretext and justification which the lies surrounding 9-11 have given to waging a war of conquest under the banner of what we call the Global War on Terrorism. This presentation was given on September 9, 2011, at the Toronto hearings. Michel Chosarovsky. You'll excuse us because we've just arrived from, from uh, Montreal together with Cynthia McKinney and Marlene Azebroya. And uh, we just had about five minutes to, to rush to the, to the event. What I'd like to address in my presentation are the broad consequences of 9-11 with regard to U.S. military doctrine, but more broadly, the pretext and justification which the lies surrounding 9-11 have given to waging a war of conquest under the banner of what we call the war on terrorism or the global war on terrorism, which we could call the GWAT. <laughs> now, 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 the GWAT was launched. I thought this was going to be a serious presentation, obviously. 
The, the global war on terrorism was launched late at night by the war cabinet, which was formed in the afternoon of 9-11. And a decision was taken to declare war on Afghanistan as a state sponsor of the 9-11 attacks, in other words, the sovereign country somewhere in Central Asia, uh, on the grounds that al-Qaeda and mastermind Osama bin Laden was behind these attacks, and consequently, Afghanistan as, uh, as hosting al-Qaeda was responsible for a military attack on the United States of America. And what is more important is that the following morning, without any evidence, nobody knew who had done it, you know, on, on, the, on the same day. But the following morning, uh, Eastern European time in Brussels, the Atlantic Alliance met and invoked Article 5 of the Treaty of Washington which essentially states that an attack on one of its members constitutes an attack on all of its members under the concept of collective defense. Now, uh, immediately we see unfolding uh, this notion of preemptive war, that, that this was an act of defense, this, this was a decision on the part of NATO to defend itself against the attack of a foreign country, and as a result, uh, NATO, uh, NATO didn't actually declare war on the 12th. It waited until barely three, two or three days before, based on some uh, State Department document which was composed and never verified, and then they said, yes, we now rubber stamp the decision that we took tentatively on, on uh, September the 12th. But needless to say, uh, this uh, uh, tragic event of 9-11 was used as a pretext and justification to wage war on uh, an impoverished country in Central Asia. Uh, there were diplomatic exchanges between Afghanistan and the United States. People say the Taliban, but this was the government of Afghanistan, whether we like them or not. And they said... They said I think on two occasions, uh, if there are, if, if there's evidence that Bin Laden is behind these attacks, we'd be happy to hand him over to American justice. And uh, George W. Bush uh, said, "We don't negotiate with terrorists." That was his response. So that 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 avenue was not uh, taken. And uh, anybody who has a minimal understanding of military planning will know that you don't plan a large-scale theater war uh, in a matter of four weeks. This conference took several months to prepare. And imagine uh, anybody who is, has looked at, at military documents knows that it takes several months and sometimes years to prepare a war of that size. So that the war on, uh, on Afghanistan was in the pipeline well before 9-11. And 9-11 was the pretext and justification for waging this war using what um, f 
former Central Command um, commander, General Tommy Franks, calls, calls a mass casualty-producing event. Uh, it must be a military concept, a mass casualty-producing event, which, um, in the logic of uh, Operation Northwards, which was the secret plan to attack Cuba based on uh, uh, attacks in the Miami um, exile community with casualties, uh, and that document uh, envisaged precisely that, and then they said that the deaths of of Cuban Americans would create a useful wave of indignation, which would then trigger a pretext and a justification to wage war on Cuba. That plan was never implemented. It was presented. Uh, it was under the Kennedy administration. It was presented by the Joint Chiefs of Staff. You can look at it. It's declassified document. Uh, Robert McNamara at the time was Secretary of Defense, and I think that the, the, the White House turned it down. But, the, but the, the concept is certainly on record. Now, what I'd like to uh, address is the fact that this uh, event of 9-11 uh, initiated what we might call the, the Al-Qaeda legend, uh, namely that Al-Qaeda and leader Osama bin Laden constitute the outside enemy in the eyes of public opinion. And we saw that in the wake of these tragic events, immediately there was a mass mobilization of public opinion. And I don't think even sectors in Canada, I think everybody joined the bandwagon, virtually everybody, even trade unions, progressive organizations, and a few dissenting voices. Uh, my first reaction on the morning of 9-11 uh, when George Tenet, uh, head of the CIA, announced that uh, Al-Qaeda and bin Laden was behind it, was twofold. Uh, one, of course, I was wondering how he could actually have done it from his hospital bed in Rawalpindi, because he was hospitalized, but we, we didn't know that at the time. So, uh, But, uh, but I, I then said to myself, but if if Al-Qaeda is behind these attacks, who is behind Al-Qaeda? And I knew from my, the research I'd conducted in, uh, on uh, Yugoslavia in particular, but going back to the Soviet-Afghan war, that Al-Qaeda was an intelligence asset of, uh, of, the, of the CIA. And this was amply recognized uh, uh, in, in numerous uh, documents and the, the response of, of the U.S. intelligence community uh, was, uh, yeah, we, we, we supported him, but he went against us. Okay? You can read that. I, I'm quoting literally from press reports, from intelligence reports. It's when uh, an intelligence asset goes against his sponsor. Now, we were the sponsors of Al-Qaeda. It was for a good cause. It was to fight the communists in the Soviet-Afghan war. And we sent in the Mujahideen. We trained them in these CIA camps in Afghanistan and Pakistan. We set up the religious uh, uh, schools, the madrasas. Uh, we then uh, contracted with our friends in Saudi Arabia to send in Wahhabi missions into Afghanistan to train these people. 
this is fairly well documented, and, and uh, I don't think we need to, to extend the discussion on that. But the, the, the understanding of the intelligence community is uh, he turned against us. In the wake of the Cold War, uh, the jihad then started to target the Western world, and that 9-11 was an attack by Muslim terrorists. Now, the blowback, I can tell you that the blowback is a fabrication. It's an absolute fabrication, and that's absolutely crucial to an understanding of how uh, this event then led to shifts in U.S. military doctrine, even in nuclear doctrine, okay? even in the use of nuclear weapons, because they, they even say we might use a tactical nuclear weapon, a mini-nuke, against bin Laden or against Saddam Hussein. I, I, I know, I've read those documents inside out, and they actually say that. Now, when you look at a mini-nuke, a B-6111, it's something of the order between one-third and, and uh, six times a Hiroshima bomb. Okay? So it's no small bomb. It's a bunker-buster bomb, and that means uh, uh, you don't take out... Uh, Osama bin Laden in his, his cave or in, in his hospital in Rawalpindi. Now, uh, anybody who's been to Rawalpindi knows that it's a place which is swarming with U.S. military advisors. So how did he get into his hospital on the, on the 9th of September uh, for kidney, uh, you know, for his kidney uh, problem? And then when, when would he, was he released from hospital? Either on the 10th or 11th. But his whereabouts were known. Donald Rumsfeld said, we don't know where he is. It's like... Uh, looking for a needle in a stack of hay. Well, uh, hello. Yes, uh, Bin Laden's whereabouts have always been known. Why? Because Al-Qaeda is a CIA intelligence asset and has always been an intelligence asset and continues to be an intelligence asset. So there is no blowback. And I, I will argue that there's a blow forward. There's a blow forward. Um, I will discuss that later, but when the the blow forward has to do with the fact that the main ally of NATO in the, in the war theater in Libya is Al-Qaeda. And there's absolutely no uh, uh, ambiguity with regard to that because uh, the CNN is actually acknowledging it. But they say they're not Al-Qaeda, they're former Al-Qaeda, and that now they, they're pro-democracy. Okay? But we'll discuss that a bit later. You're listening to economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show, Al-Qaeda and the Global War on Terrorism. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Um, Shortly before 9-11, I was involved in researching um, the civil war in Macedonia. And in fact, I was in touch with the Prime Minister's office uh, frequently by telephone and email because what was happening is that uh, a U.S. military uh, um, mercenary company called MPRI, Military Professional Resources uh, Incorporated, were advising both the Kosovo Liberation Army, which was integrated by by al-Qaeda units, uh, Mujahideen, and they were also uh, advising the Macedonian Defense Forces. And they were, they were, in fact, coordinating the war on both sides. Um, and uh, 
what happened, now, just barely two months before 9-11, it hasn't been much publicized, the, the Mujahideen were caught red-handed with their, with their U.S. military advisors. These are all former commanders of the U.S. military. They're senior commanders. And they were caught red-handed together in the same uh, unit or guerrilla unit. Uh, and, uh, and this was... Um, uh, this led to a political scandal in, in, in Macedonia. The prime minister made statements and so on, so that barely a few months before 9-11, I knew that the intelligence asset was still working for the, for the CIA and was still being uh, used in covert operations. But then I also knew, and that's important, that, um, that uh, al-Qaeda or al-Qaeda-affiliated organizations... Al-Qaeda is a very elusive concept. It includes quite a number of different organizations. But Al-Qaeda units were also being used in Bosnia uh, in, the, in the early to mid-90s, integrating the Bosnian Muslim army, and subsequently in the Kosovo Liberation Army, where Al-Qaeda was, in fact, uh, involved, and they were also involved in training and so on, uh, to the extent that they even uh, people uh, from different parts of the of the Muslim world were buying real estate in, in Kosovo at, at the time. Uh, but what I want to signify by that is that, uh, that throughout that whole period, uh, the, the, the enemy number one, which allegedly committed uh, these attacks, was in close liaison with their intelligence sponsors, the CIA, but also Pakistan's inter-services intelligence, which really operated as a go-between. Pakistan ISI uh, was uh, in touch with uh, the terrorist organizations, uh, the various uh, organizations like uh, Lashkar uh, in, and Jaish in Pakistan, um, which, uh, which, were in, which were also involved in the training camps and so on. And that relationship has been maintained uh, to this very day, the Pakistan Inter-Services Intelligence is virtually a subsidiary of the CIA uh, and it acts on behalf of, of the CIA. And I should mention another very important uh, dimension is that um, in, in November 2001, and this was brought out in, in, a, in an article by Seymour Hirsch, although he didn't really... Uh, elaborate on the, on the implications, is that uh, al-Qaeda combatants in Afghanistan were uh, airlifted to northern Pakistan. They weren't sent to Guantanamo. Guantanamo was housed by civilians, people who were arrested left and right. The actual al-Qaeda fighters were airlifted, and they were airlifted in military planes, and they were taken to, to north, uh, northwest Pakistan, uh, Waziristan, uh, and that constitutes a new frontier, which today is the object of the drone attacks. So in other words, this is a very diabolical uh, uh, operation. You have to sustain these organizations as enemies of America, but also as assets. Now, an intelligence asset doesn't necessarily mean that the that these uh, Islamic organizations know who their sponsors are. That's the whole point. An intelligence asset 
could be any one of us, okay? Uh, it's an instrument of, of, of U.S. intelligence. And, and it, 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 it goes through different layers. And, and in, in this case, Pakistan ISI was a very important relay in, in, uh, in um, implementing uh, uh, U.S. Uh, uh, intelligence operations. Now, I think from my standpoint, and I focus mainly on geopolitics, I've focused on some other aspects of 9-11 which have been uh, covered in these hearings, but the, the geopolitics uh, of 10 years of war, that was in fact the theme of our conference in Montreal, 9-11 has unleashed a roadmap of war and destruction. We are at the most serious, we are at the crossroads of the most serious crisis in modern history. I think that's not an understatement. Uh, and the war on terrorism is part of that process because it gives a, a justification to wage war on humanitarian grounds so that you, you wage the war not against countries, but against uh, what they called uh, non-state entities, which came, again, uh, into, the, into the jargon. Uh, and uh, and uh, th that, I think, is, is, uh, is very important. It, it provided, at each stage, Afghanistan, Iraq, of course, it was another pretext, but in, in ultimately... The war on terrorism was also fought on, on the basis of, of the fact that there were terrorists with dirty bombs and so on. If we remember uh, uh, Colin Powell's presentation to the Security Council of the United Nations uh, in February, uh, you know, in February 2003, preceding the, the invasion of, of Iraq. Uh, and, and ultimately, the war on terrorism has been a continuum. Uh, and... Uh, what has happened is that this war on terrorism has also been um, supported by uh, media fabrications. I think that 9-11 is the onslaught, and that's why 9-11 truth is so important. 9-11 is the onslaught of, a, of war propaganda, and a higher level of war propaganda, where, uh, where and, and that actually happened immediately on the 12th of September. Okay. Immediately on the 12th of September, there were calls to invade Afghanistan from, uh, what's his name, Sapphire and, and various other pundits of, of, the, of the Washington Post and the New York Times and, and, and said, yes, we, we must go after the terrorists. And, and, and this, all this has permeated the, the consciousness of, of millions of people. Uh, it, it's created an atmosphere of fear and intimidation, which was then coupled with uh, the coded uh, uh, alert, uh, the color-coded alerts, uh, and homeland security, and so on. And, and it, 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 uh, it was a pretext to wage a war without borders, which in essence is a war of conquest, and it was also a pretext to implement far-reaching uh, far changes in, at home, uh, through the Patriot legislation, through uh, national security, protection of borders, and so on and so forth. And, uh, I mean, you might even remember when you board the plane with your Johnny Walker black label, you, uh, I should mention a word about 
the liquid bomb attacks because they were totally fabricated, among many others. But the, the liquid bomb attacks, it turned out that the alleged terrorists did not have passports and did not have tickets to board the plane. Now, they must have screwed up somewhere, to say the least. But in any event, we went through a, a, whole, a whole era of, of, uh, of threats, of, of, uh, of, of attacks on America. Okay? Attacks on America, on the one hand, whereas in fact, what was happening was uh, large-scale theater wars waged by America against uh, countries around the world. Uh, in, in various forms, either theater wars or covert operations or regime changes. And all of this was, uh, was, um, was uh, carried out under the banner of uh, fighting the outside enemy, the elusive enemy, Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda. And as you, as you know, um, we saw, first of all, we see Al-Qaeda in, in Iraq. Then we see Al-Qaeda in Yemen, Al-Qaeda in Africa, we had subsidiaries of Al-Qaeda virtually everywhere, you know, and wherever the United States needed to intervene militarily, they used the pretext of Al-Qaeda in Yemen or Somalia or wherever, under different names, um, uh, and, and uh, of course, uh, corroborated by media reports, etc. And in all cases, I can assure you, these are instruments of U.S. intelligence or MI6 uh, or, or Mossad. And there's a collaboration between them. Um, what, uh, what I think is, is of, of uh, concern to us is that the 9-11 big lie sets the stage for what I describe as the American Inquisition. Uh, the nature of an inquisitorial doctrine is very different to actual disinformation. There's a subtle difference because media disinformation is that you hide the facts and, uh, and you obfuscate certain things and you lie. An inquisitorial doctrine is quite different. You don't necessarily need to lie. You don't obfuscate the torture uh, camps in Guantanamo. In fact, you do exactly the opposite. You make them visible. Uh, why? Because ultimately they are accepted as something which we can do. So torture then is accepted because we need to go after the bad guys. Okay? And uh, so that an inquisitorial doctrine uh, is based on essentially on enforcing the lie as the truth. Okay, it's not by obfuscating the, the truth and, and saying, no, well, this, that, and other. It's actually inverting the truth. It's transforming the lie into the truth. And, and then what happens is that this becomes a consensus. Uh, responsibility to protect in Libya is a consensus. But in reality, what is it? It's the killing of thousands of people. And, and we... We've been following this war, and I can assure you the reports that are, that are published. Uh, uh, our correspondent of global research, uh, Mali Darius Nazemroya, who is, who is, at, who is in, the, in, the, in this room at, at this moment, has reported back from Libya, and the atrocities committed by NATO have not been mentioned in, in, in any of the media. And responsibility to protect becomes the logo. It becomes something that we accept, and so on and so forth. 
And, uh, and so an inquisitorial uh, doctrine uh, imposes itself as a consensus that you do not challenge because it emanates from the, most, from the highest authority of the land, not only from the head of state and the, and the U.S. Congress, but from Ban Ki-moon, uh, uh, Secretary General of the United Nations, from the, you know, from the ICC criminal courts and so on. Everybody toes the line and everybody is, uh, is uh, committed to going after bin Laden. Okay? I'm, maybe I'm exaggerating. Let's say going after al-Qaeda. But uh, again, it's the war on terrorism, and then it's supported by and financed by Islamophobia, and so on and so forth. And 9-11 is the ultimate, um, you know, it's like Adam bit the apple. So it, it's, it's, it's the starting point. It's the starting point of this, of this discourse and dogma which permeates every area of society. And it, it cannot be challenged. It cannot be challenged. Um, it could, can certainly be challenged in, in terms of factual information, but then people dismiss those facts because the Inquisition does not allow you to accept the truth. And so what I'm saying here is that the, the lie becomes the truth, and the truth ultimately uh, becomes uh, a conspiracy to challenge that consensus. And there's a NATO consensus now in Libya. There's a NATO consensus in Syria. But what is not uh, reported is the fact uh, that the war on terrorism is waged not against the terrorists, but with the terrorists. So that I call that the Guat WTT, okay? Uh, I, 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 I should get intellectual property rights on that, but Guat, WTT means with the terrorists. You're listening to economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show, Al-Qaeda and the Global War on Terrorism. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, Guat with the terrorists uh, signifies that in every single one of these military operations, the terrorists have been waging a guerrilla warfare on the ground, paramilitaries trained often trained by special forces uh, in Bosnia, in Kosovo, certainly in Afghanistan. Well, in Afghanistan, it's a bit more complex, but in Iraq, uh, as of 2004, when uh, John Negroponte was sent as ambassador, his term was only for one year, his, his task was to, uh, to, to uh, put together the death squadrons uh, based on the Salvador option, uh, which he had applied in, in, uh, in Central America in the 1980s. And these death squadrons were, were there as an instrument uh, to obscure the, the role of the invader and, and weaken the resistance movement. Now, uh, in uh, Bosnia uh, and Kosovo, we have documents which prove unequivocally that... The United States uh, military, well, the United States as an entity was supportive of Al-Qaeda. 
And uh, we get it really from the horse's mouth, uh, which is the Senate Republican, it's the Republican Party Committee of the U.S. Senate. Uh, and uh, it's a document which was produced in 1997 and which is accused as the the, it accuses the Clinton administration. Well, there's, there was party politics involved in that. Uh, and um, they, they, they accuse Clinton of supporting al-Qaeda and, uh, and working hand-in-glove with al-Qaeda and bringing in weapons into Bosnia. Okay? And so that is a document of the, of the U.S. Senate. It's, it, it's a public document. Uh, and we have, other, we have other statements regarding the KLA, now, we, we know that the KLA are, are listed by, by, by Interpol, and we know that the KLA is linked up with Al-Qaeda and so on. We know that the KLA was supported by NATO. So that is, uh, th- that is well understood, waging the war on terrorism with the terrorists, not against the terrorists. And I, I contend that that concept is absolutely fundamental. It's not the blowback, it's the blow forward. Because the blowback tells you that Al-Qaeda uh, went against us, he's enemy number one, and uh, uh, the blow forward tells you that there's been a continuous relationship between uh, entities of U.S. intelligence, Western intelligence generally, on the one hand, military as well, and uh, entities linked up to the Islamic Jihad uh, what we now call as Al-Qaeda-affiliated organizations. And, and the reason why all this is important, because the, the lie penetrates the inner consciousness of people, it changes their perceptions, it prevents people from thinking, even when they're confronted with the fact that Al-Qaeda is in fact an instrument and not an object of the global war terrorism. Uh, But nonetheless, and when the lie uh, replaces the truth in people's inner consciousness, there's no going backwards, okay? It's a very very subtle mechanism. And and the the Spanish Inquisition understood perfectly well, but the French Inquisition was even worse. And it lasted for several hundred years, okay? Uh, That your, your whole mindset is subordinated to something which is which is predetermined and fake, and you cannot reflect. And now I'd like to, um, I, I'd like to, um, to go to blow forward, okay? Because it is a blow forward, and discuss very briefly uh, two major um, areas of conflict today. One is Libya, and the other is Syria. Now. Uh, I can tell you unequivocally, and it's confirmed by media reports, that the main um, military units of the rebels in Libya are Al-Qaeda. The military commander in Tripoli uh, is Al-Qaeda, or Al-Qaeda affiliated. These are former commanders of the Libya Islamic Fighting Group the LIFG. Now, the LIFG is a CIA creation. Uh, These commanders, these Mujahideen, were trained in Afghanistan uh, in CIA camps. 
the same procedure as those which fought in, in, the, in the Soviet-Afghan war, except in the subsequent period. Uh, and I, I can tell you that the LIFG is still on the list of the State Department as a terrorist organization, and it's still on the United Nations Security Council um, list of terrorist organizations. And uh, we know for a fact that the mainstay of these rebels are Al-Qaeda affiliated. Uh, there are other elements to, 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 to the rebellion, which I won't go into. But uh, the, the issue is, is the following. Uh, if you look at the press reports, they will invariably, they will acknowledge it. I think they have to acknowledge it because otherwise, you know, the, the truth might seep through. They acknowledge it and then they dismiss it. They say, uh, this is the way they go, they say. They say, uh, such and such uh, is uh, commander of uh, the Tripoli uh, rebel a command. He's a he's a former he's a former member of Al Qaeda, but he is now pro democracy. Okay, so they what they do is they say uh, these are former terrorists, former bad guys, and now they're good guys. Okay, so they they're inverting the the concepts. So you have a bad guy. And then CNN says, uh, well, now they're committed to, uh, to pro-democracy, etc., etc. They said the same thing in Kosovo with the KLA, that the KLA are criminals linked to the Italian mafia, but now they are, we're going to use them to implement democracy. Now, essentially, this is what you have in Tripoli today. And these people are, these rebels are, are committing major atrocities directed against the civilian population. But what we have to understand uh, is that the war on terrorism is not only a fabrication, uh, but the enemy, the alleged enemy in this war on terrorism is in fact a partner in the war on terrorism, namely uh, Al-Qaeda is used in military operations on the ground, interfacing with NATO special forces and so on and so forth, and ultimately uh, this, I think, for us is, is very important that we, that we uh, can refute because ultimately if, if the war on terrorism is no longer accepted and doesn't have its legitimacy, the whole construct, military doctrine, collapses like a deck of cards. And that's why 9-11 truth is so important. The whole construct of global war on terrorism it's not to say that they won't find other pretexts, but they won't be able to justify their war by lying to us and saying, so when I say the global war on terrorism is a WTT, okay, global war on terrorism with the terrorists, and it is not a blowback, but is a blow forward, and present-day wars in Libya are conducted by al-Qaeda units on the ground, in Syria, we have a situation which is not quite the same, but what has happened is Salafist, Muslim Brotherhood uh, brigades have entered into Syria and are involved in acts of um, terrorist acts 
directed against public buildings, acts of arson, killing of police and armed forces and civilians, which then has led to response by the security forces. I'm not certainly the government of Bashar al-Assad bears a burden of responsibility in this, but we have to understand what triggered that the, the crisis in Syria. And the crisis in Syria was triggered by Al-Qaeda-affiliated units um, infiltrating protest movements and, and shooting. And they're shooting on civilians, as well documented, and they're shooting uh, on, on people. Uh, they're even shooting on, um, on Christian communities. Uh, and this is consequently not a protest movement. It is an insurrection. And the latest news that I have is that NATO is actually now, and this is conferred by, uh, by Israeli intelligence sources, that NATO is itself in the process of recruiting mujahideen, jihadist fighters, to wage their wars. They have a, they have a recruitment process, and it's, it's an agreement between NATO and, and, uh, and, um, and the Turkish military. Um, now, that... Those reports remain to be verified, but uh, it is well understood that that recruitment process has been going on for a long, long time, and and uh, and those brigades are there precisely to perform a terrorist role, which uh, which uh, is used to destabilize societies, create sectarian violence. Uh, in in countries countries such as Syria, is a country of tremendous religious tolerance. For people who have been there, I, I spent more, more than a month in Syria earlier this year, and uh, uh, there's a there's a sort of integration of Christianity and Islam to the extent that the prayer I'll, I'll finish on that the prayer at the Great Mosque in Damascus is taken from the Greek Orthodox Church. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're listening to economist and director of the Center for Research on Globalization, Michel Chosodovsky. Today's show, Al-Qaeda and the Global War on Terrorism. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Professor Chosodovsky will take uh, questions from the panel now. Judge Ipasumato. Thank you, Mr. Chosodovsky, for your witness. And uh, I uh, ask you... That I ever read the news that you discovered the 12th September, uh, the meeting that uh, happened in Washington in department between uh, the, the chief of ISI, Omer Ahmad, and uh, the chief of uh, the CIA. Now. Uh, I have to refresh myself because I wrote this 10 years ago uh, and I've been involved in a whole series of other things. But, but uh, this uh, visit of, uh, of, uh, of General uh, Mahmoud Ahmad was very important uh, because uh, uh, he, he's head of the ISI and at the same time the ISI is known to support the terrorists. Okay? But this is not, sh- should come as no surprise because, but because in effect... Uh, the ISI and the CIA work in tandem. But uh, I should mention that prior to his arrival 
uh, in the United States on September the 4th, there were meetings be between um, two members of the, of the U.S. intelligence community uh, who, were in, uh, uh, who were in Pakistan, they were in uh, Rawalpindi, meeting with their counterparts. That was Bob Graham and Porter Goss, okay? Now, Bob Graham and Porter Goss were in Rawalpindi in late August, right? Uh, and, they, and they had consultations uh, with uh, uh, President Musharraf and with uh, counterparts in, in, uh, in the military and intelligence community of Pakistan. That was less than two weeks before 9-11. Now, then they go back to Washington, and I don't know whether Ahmed actually came with them or he came on a separate plane, but I documented that he arrived, he arrived in the United States on September 4th. Um, from the 4th to the 9th, he meets his U.S. counterparts, including George Tenet. Okay? Now, on the 9th of September, you might recall, was assassination of, of, of General Massoud, uh, leader of the Northern Command, not necessarily related to his visit. And then uh, on the morning, on the morning of 9-11, uh, the general was having breakfast at the U.S. Congress, right? And uh, when the attacks occurred... Now, um, I think that there are two elements. First of all, we should emphasize that on the, on the day after, the day after 9-11, once they had declared war on Afghanistan in the night, that decision was reached late in the evening. Okay? If you look at Bob Woodward's timeline. Uh, and then in the following morning, there, then uh, what happened is that uh, General, Lieutenant General Ahmad uh, met with uh, the Deputy State, uh, Secretary of State Richard Armitage. Uh, then he met uh, Joe Biden on the following day, on the 13th, who was at the time chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And what is important, at those meetings, at those meetings at the State Department and the U.S. Senate, there was a decision taken that Pakistan would support America's war on terrorism. So that I think Ahmad's role was there. They said, oh, he just happened to be there, okay? Well, he just happened to be there so that on the morning of 9-11, he could go in. Uh, yeah, it was Colin Powell was, was Secretary of State, was he not at the time? Yeah, he met with Colin Powell as well, although the reports, the reports don't confirm it. I, I, I think I, I managed to, to find that he did actually meet Colin Powell, but Richard Armitage was his was his counterpart, and uh, essentially that was, the, that was the green light for Pakistan. Pakistan supports the global war on terrorism, okay? And at the same time, Pakistan's ISI is supporting the terrorists, the, 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 the WTT, okay? So that in effect, there was both an intelligence op, and then there was also a diplomatic... Uh, uh, operation which consisted in giving the green light to that war on terrorism through America's ally in, in Pakistan. And Pakistan was, of course, very important because it was from there that uh, a, a lot of the uh, attacks of, and the invasion was, was carried out. Thank you. Uh, I wonder if, uh, well, we, any of us uh, don't think that bin Laden had a lot to do with 9-11. I think you probably share that view 
Okay, do you have any comments about the events in Abbottabad? Uh, was that pure theater, or, or we have, do we have any the notion events? of what uh, what actually occurred there? I'm sorry, Miss Abbas. The, the the assassination of Bin Laden by the United States. Alleged. Alleged. Okay. Listen, I, I mean, there have been, uh, there, uh, uh, David Ray Griffin has, has written a book on that. I don't want to elaborate. Uh, I mean, uh, it's a very, the whole thing is extremely fishy, to say the least. Uh, but I haven't personally investigated the timeline. We've, m many of our authors have, have written on that, and, and uh, uh, I, I mean... Uh, but what is uh, most serious is the fact that the, 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 the SEAL unit which was involved in that operation has, has, has uh, been eliminated in a helicopter crash. And I think that's a certainly a relevant, uh, that's a relevant element in, in, in one's understanding. Uh, other, uh, Professor Jenkins and then Professor Liam will have to end on that. My understanding is that uh, Noam Chomsky certainly agrees with your analysis of the use of 9-11 to further U.S. interests in generating a fallout war on terror and perhaps its other imperial interests. But he thinks that they were simply exploiting this occasion. He doesn't feel that the U.S. generated this occasion or made it. Now, I'm wondering whether there's anything in your analysis what 9-11 started for the U.S. made possible that in itself suggests that they were doing more than exploiting an event which they did not control. But they controlled. I, I mean, I think what Noam Chomsky is saying is that 9-11 may have provided a pretext, but he rejects the he rejects the fact that Al Qaeda is an intelligence asset. I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't focus on the intelligence, on the lies. This is the ultimate lie, okay? Because what they're telling us, it's the ultimate lie, as far as the the global war on terrorism is concerned. Waging a war on an, on terrorists using the terrorists, okay? I mean, we can distinguish between various terrorisms. Because NATO is also a terrorist entity, but if we're talking about the so-called jihadist or, or Islamist uh, brigades, they are recruited. They are, in fact, created. Islamism, in its in its form today, is a creation of the CIA. Uh, it's not to say that that Islamism doesn't exist in in the Muslim world. It does, but it has been used. As, uh, and, and supported and financed covertly with a view to using it in a, in a, in a, in a war theater. Now, uh, with all due respect to Noam Chomsky, he doesn't get into that. Okay? And that is, the, that is where the, the deck of cards collapses. Just to say, well, you know, this is something uh, they couldn't control and then they went after them and... Uh, the, uh, they're bad guys. They're not bad guys. We're the bad guys. And, 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 and the, I mean, the discourse of the media is so incredibly uh, fake to say, uh, to now dispel after having, after having supported the, the war on terrorism doctrine, to, to, to say that in the case of Libya, well, 
it doesn't really matter whether these guys are terrorists, uh, Al-Qaeda or not. In fact, they are Al-Qaeda, according to CNN. But they're, they're, these guys are no longer bad guys. Okay? They're telling us that. They're no longer bad guys. They're good guys because they're working with us. They're former terrorists. Okay? They're, not, they're, not to, they're former terrorists. And in fact, they're not former terrorists because the organization which is supposed to be defunct is still there. Otherwise, it wouldn't be on the, on the State Department list. Okay? So in, in effect, what, what if, if people were doing their work in the war theater, they would be arresting these people. Is that right, Cynthia? Yeah, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that fully. Last question, Professor Lee. We have to move quickly. Okay. I'll uh, I'll make it quick. Is um, uh, you your your um, your your uh, analysis of world events is even darker than many people in this room could imagine, because you're suggesting that in fact there's only one and there's only one entity, and that is this uh, dark uh, what. Uh, what Peter Dale Scott calls the deep state. So my question is, in local, in local uh, instances, like Afghanistan, is the Taliban blow back or blow forward? Well, Af Afghanistan is a very complex war theater, okay? Uh, it, because it... Yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't, I not like to answer that in relation to Afghanistan because it, 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 the complexity of what's going on. But certainly, if you look at at the the last, uh, if you look at Iraq, uh, where there there have been intense on the part, deliberate intense on the part of the military alliance to uh, create death squads, uh, and sometimes even special forces. Uh, you know, in Arab garb, going and putting bombs in a, in a, in a mosque. Now, I'm, I'm not inventing that. It has been documented by the British press. That, was, that happened in... in, in uh, the Basra, the ba that was the Basra... Those were the Basra attacks. And, and uh, uh, they suggest uh, that, uh, uh, that the military alliance is creating its own terror units within Iraq, with a view to creating divisions between uh, uh, fa uh, uh, factional divisions uh, between different groups within society, between Shia and, and Sunni and, and, and Kurds and so on. That this is well understood. And that, the architect of that was John uh, Negroponte. Uh, but I, I, I think uh, the reason I emphasize the, the contemporary wars is because the evidence is so overwhelming it is so overwhelming, and the statements to the effect that NATO is recruiting uh, Mujahideen suggests that, uh, that the blowback is a lie. Okay. It's an absolute lie, and that the, the, terror, um, the terror entities today are part of, of a military strategy of conquering countries for their oil, Essentially, as far as the Middle East is concerned, I'll terminate on this. Muslim countries have between 60 and 70 percent of conventional uh, petroleum reserves. I'm not talking about tar sands, okay, depending on the estimates. The United States has 2 percent. And that is why there's a process of demonizing Islam. Uh, if there had been Buddhists living in, in these oil producing countries, we would have demonized the Buddhists. Yeah.
Thank you very much. listening to Michelle Chosarovsky. Today's show has been Al-Qaeda and the Global War on Terrorism. Michelle Chosarovsky is director of the Center for Research on Globalization, based in Montreal, Quebec. The Global Research website, globalresearch.ca, publishes news articles, commentary, background research, and analysis on a broad range of issues. He is the author of The Globalization of Poverty and the New World Order. War and Globalization, The Truth Behind September 11th, and America's War on Terrorism, as well as numerous articles. He is a co-editor and contributor to a new anthology, The Global Economic Crisis, The Great Depression of the 21st Century. Many economists and investigative journalists have contributed to this new volume. Visit the Center for Research on Globalization website at www.globalresearch.com. That's globalresearch.ca. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner and Yaromako. To leave comments or order copies of shows, email us at blfaulkner at yahoo.com. That's blfaulkner at yahoo.com. Visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.org. That's G-U-N-S-A-N-D-B-U-T-T-E-R dot O-R-G. Hey, yo, these are some serious times that we live in, G. And our new world order is about to begin. You know what I'm saying? Now the question is, are you ready for the real revolution, which is the evolution of the mind? If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. You dig what I'm saying? Now if you take heed to the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life, then universally we will stand and divided we will fall because love conquers all. You understand what I'm saying? This is a call for all you sleeping souls. Wake up and take control of your own cipher and be on the lookout for the spirit sniper. Trying to steal your life, you know what I'm saying? Look with inside yourself for peace. Give thanks, live life, and release. You did.